I was reflecting earlier today on the journey of Lewis and Clark, who uh, made this extraordinary journey from uh, the East Coast, uh, uh, looking for the West Coast without knowing that there was one, um, and uh, that they, you know, uh, set out with all good intention uh, just to see what could be discovered, uh, but they didn't have any map, you know, but they did have some guiding principles, you know, they were actually a scientific uh, exploration to collect uh, samples of the different uh, biological uh, things that they came across, plants and animals and things like that. And while we now, from, you know, hundreds of years later, can look at what they did over the course of the couple of years that they it took for them to uh, find their way to the West Coast, spend the winter, and find their way back to the East Coast. It's uh, amazing, an extraordinary journey to have made uh, without a map. And while we can put it in terms of uh, a great uh, political achievement, a scientific achievement, a heroic endeavor by these few dozen uh, men, uh, that's not the way they saw it at the time. It was a lot of work, and it was painful, and it was scary, and it was difficult. And yet now we, in the comfort of our understanding of what they did, can say, oh, that was, that was great, that was really nice, that's, that's, uh, I'm glad they did that, and it was beneficial for uh, us as a, as a nation, or us as a, a humankind. But the moment-to-moment of the journey, if you've read anything about their, their journey, was exceedingly difficult. The spiritual journey is just like that. You know, the goal and the direction is openness, acceptance, peace, love, joy, compassion, connection, harmony. And that's, 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 that's where we go. That's, that's the direction. That's the... That's the aspiration. But that's not our experience every step of the way. Every step of the way is like dealing with everything that's not that. Dealing with the, the struggles, the challenges, the doubt, the fear, the pain in the body, the pain in the heart, the confusion about where am I going and does this really work and can I make it happen and, well, you know. And so we should just remember that, that uh, we are explorers. Uh, of a terrain that we don't yet know. But we have some good maps. Nevertheless, we have to take the journey. Or you can look at the maps all you want, and you can learn everything, every detail that's on the map. But until you take the journey, you don't really have the experience. You don't really have the knowledge that becomes your own. And so while many of us have read uh, a lot about but the Buddhist teachings or awakening or spiritual teachings of one sort or another, we can have all kinds of ideas, we can have a lot of clarity about uh, what others have experienced, but only to the extent that we've taken the journey do we know for ourselves for sure. So, while I will be using a lot of, you know, the map, talking about the map, 
a lot. The map of the mind, the map of the journey of awakening. Uh, it's all to encourage, to inspire, to uh, kind of point out your own journey so that you each feel empowered to take the, take the journey uh, of awakening to, to yourself, if you will. So, when we, when we undertake this path of practice, of course we need guides. We need a map, we need guides, we need companions, we need a lot of supplies, a lot of information, and then it's, it's still challenge, can be challenging. Because what we're, what we're endeavoring to do, really, is, as I mentioned, to, is to wake up. Is to really wake up to the fullness of being a human being. And what it means to be a human being. And what the experience of being a human being is really all about. Now, we've all been living as human beings for the duration of our life. And so you'd think, like, well, I know what it's like. We do. That's right, we do. At a superficial level. We have an understanding of this life at a very superficial level. And a lot of the understanding that we have has been uh, spoon-fed to us by uh, our parents and other primary caregivers, by peers, by authorities of one sort or another, by the educational system that we've all lived with, uh, your, your family's uh, religion, if you will, your family's uh, or your own uh, economic class, your ethnicity, your gender, uh, and we're all we're all conditioned by all that. And so, until we really see for ourselves the um, the effect of that conditioning, we're not free. We're living somebody else's understanding yeah? that we bought into, or had to believe just to get along. And so, we're now saying, okay, believing as I have was, was, a, was a good strategy for kind of living in the family I grew up in, for getting the schooling that I got, and for having the career I've got. But now, some of those beliefs, some of those assumptions, some of those ways of, uh, some of those strategies for dealing with uh, the conditions of life are dysfunctional. And you know they're dysfunctional when you feel impatient, angry, rageful, depressed, uh, bored, uh, obsessed, addicted. So, to the extent that you feel those, uh, the strategies are not working, they're dysfunctional. And so, this path of awakening is to discover that, to accept that, to acknowledge that, and then to find another way, to find a more functional way of dealing with the conditions of being a human being. So, how are we going to do this? How are we going to wake up to what's really going on here? You know, there's all kinds of guides there's all kinds of books, there's all kinds of people, there's all kinds of teachers like myself and others that you can get information from. But actually, to take the journey yourself uh, is something else. It's like really 
learning how to trust your own uh, experience. <clears throat> we may not know how much we doubt our own experience or how much we fear our own experience. And so learning how to trust is not always easy. But each of you made a decision to come to this retreat. And it would be interesting to really to really ask yourself the question, why are you here? Really? I mean, really, why are you here? Yeah, what is the deepest source of your urge to be here? What is it that you need to know? What is it that you feel that you don't know? What are you looking for? It's important just to acknowledge that, that there's something, isn't there? There's something that got you here. You know, nobody forced you to come here. Although I did, I did offer a retreat one time, and somebody was, it was a sanitation worker from New York City, and as a joke, some of his, uh, the people that he worked with, bought him uh, a retreat at the Meditation Center in Massachusetts. And he was the least likely guy that you'd ever think would go on a retreat. You know, he's a sanitation worker, and I'm, I'm, I'm not stereotyping on that, but it's just, at the time, we were all flower children at the time. This was a couple of decades ago. But by the uh, end of the retreat, this, this man was just walking like a ballet dancer. He didn't know what he was getting into, but he got into it and really woke up to, wow, there's this, there's this other whole life going on in here. So, none of you have, I think, have a gift subscription to this retreat. Or, <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, we're here. We're here. So, what's important is to, is to acknowledge that there's this, this flame of interest, or this flame of curiosity, or this flame of I want to know, or this flame of trust. Uh, maybe you, maybe you've uh, heard of the Buddhist teachings, or maybe you've done a little bit of meditation, or maybe you've done a lot, uh, and yet you're still here. So what is it? Because that urgency. That urge within you to to be here is the fuel that you'll need to do the practice. So if you don't know why you're here, take a look. Really, just you don't really have to have an answer, but just ask the question: Why am I here? What is it I'm looking for? What do I trust about the teachings of the Buddha, about the teacher, about myself, about? A week of silence. There are guides within our own heart to uh, this this journey of awakening, and they're called the five indriyas. They're the five activities of mind, five faculties of mind that most guide our journey of awakening. So I'm going to begin tonight a series of talks on these uh, indriyas, uh, because as we learn about them, it'll, it'll help point to areas of the map, 
point to and help you understand some of your own experiences. But maybe most important is it will give you a, uh, a means for monitoring your own practice, for monitoring your own commitment, your own energy, your own understanding. Because, you know, when you're here on the retreat, you can ask me, you can get support from one another, but most of the time you're not on retreat. Most of the time you're on your own. And so you need to have the tools, it'd be helpful to have the tools to be able to evaluate for yourself how you're doing. How am I doing? Where am I balanced? Where am I imbalanced? What am I missing here? You know? And so hopefully the, the series of talks that I'll offer this retreat will uh, give you some information and, and maybe some confidence to uh, walk the path uh, with alone and with others. So these uh, indriyas, these five activities of mind, five faculties of mind, facilities of mind, are called the controlling faculties, or the five spiritual faculties. And uh, the important understanding of them is that uh, we start uh, with, the, with the first one, with some trust. Trust is a, is a translation of the word sada, which is sometimes translated as faith, trust, confidence, whether it's in yourself, the teachings, the Buddha, the teacher, or whatever. Some kind of trust. Something. But it's actually a verb. I don't want you to think that there's you either got it or you don't. It's an activity of mind. You know, there's this trusting activity of mind that we have. There's this uh, kind of aspiring activity of mind that, uh, that brings us here. And so we want to be able to acknowledge that. And with this trust, with this uh, interest, even, uh, we're here to make some kind of effort. We're going to do something different than the usual work that we do at home, or professionally, or socially, or otherwise. We're going to we're going to do this work of the mind. We're going to work do the work of cultivating awareness or developing awareness. We're going to make this effort. Effort is the second. Now, effort isn't something that we have or don't have. It is, uh, it's, uh, it's always there, but we might be using it or not. So I want to make it a, the verb of not efforting. That sounds too, too effortful, but being persistent, pers- persevering, being willing. I think willing, being willing to acknowledge uh, your present moment's experience. That's really what uh, the effort is, the right effort. It's just trusting and persevering. No matter what is going on, just be willing to acknowledge, oh, this, is, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. We're not, trying to, we're not trying to make something happen. We're not trying to get something. We're not trying to get rid of something. You know, we're not trying to figure it out or explain it. We're just trying to open and to be willing to acknowledge, oh, this, this is the way it is right now. In the body, it's like this. In the mind, it's like that. And in the heart, uh, it feels like this. That's it. You know, but uh, often, let's, let's face it, we come, to, we come to this 
spiritual practice, we come to mindfulness, we come to retreats with all kinds of hopes, expectations, kind of like, wow, maybe something special is going to happen, and maybe I'm going to get rid of this, and I'm going to have some special goodies happen, spiritual goodies happen, or I'm going to get enlightened, whatever that is. You know, and so we have all these hopes, expectations, anticipations. They just get in the way. They get in the way of just actually the simplicity and the humility of just being here. This ordinary experience. So, hopes, and excitements, expectations, anticipations, you know, kind of like, they just get in the way. So we want to be careful about that. And then with this uh, trusting and this willingness, we just acknowledge, oh, this is it. This, this, is, this is the present moment. I recognize it. You know, this is what it feels like in the body. This is what it feels like in the, uh, in the heart. This is what the mind is doing. This is the narrative of the mind that's going chattering on again. Huh. Okay, so we remember with this effort, with this uh, energy, with this willingness to kind of be here, to kind of check in the present, check in with the present moment, we remember to recognize the present moment. So this, this, this remembering and recognizing and observing, feeling into the present moment is mindfulness. Sati, sati, mindfulness, the third these uh, activities of mind on this journey of awakening. And then as there's, as we work over the next couple of days, establishing this, you know, willingness and this remembering and observing gradually, and it can only be gradually, it just doesn't happen like that. It can only be <coughs> gradually, uh, the mind stabilizes. The mind is not just kind of all jerked around by you know, the to-do list and memories of the past and plans for the future and so you know, like we usually have. Mm-hmm. Our life is often something like a pinball machine. And it's like boom, boom, boom. <laughs> we just kind of bouncing off of one thing or another, just kind of stumbling from wake up to bed. But that's not a very stable mind. That's kind of a reactive mind. But most of us know that we have, that that's the way we live. We live. We're multitaskers, you know, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with multitasking, except it feels destabilizing sometimes. So what we're doing here is with the continuity of remembering, and observing, and being willing, the mind settles quite naturally. Not because we're trying to be still or trying to, you know, stop the mind from thinking or stop the mind from doing whatever it does. It just, it just stops. It just settles down. It's willing. The mind becomes willing, or I should say awareness becomes willing to just be with the way things are. And when the mind is stable like that, this is stabilizing, the fourth factor, we understand more about ourselves. We understand what's going on in the present moment. We understand its relationship to the last moment, to the future moments. We understand what's skillful, what's unskillful. We understand how we feel, why we feel how long we feel, whatever we feel. All of this understanding is wisdom. Now we know for ourselves. Not because we read it in a book, not because somebody told us how it should be, or how we should be, or how we should feel or shouldn't feel, 
but because we know for ourselves. This is wisdom. You know, when you read something in a book, it may be somebody else's wisdom, but to you, it's only knowledge. Somebody else's knowledge. It's not your wisdom. Only when you have your own experience, and you know your own experience, then you can have wisdom. This is how you grow wisdom. And when you have that understanding, when you have the self-observed uh, understanding, then you feel more trusting, more confident, willing to make more energy, more effort, and you remember more often, and you stabilize more steadily, and you understand even more. And so gradually these five activities of mind uh, grow. They support each other. They grow cyclically, they come into balance, they support each other, and they come to a maturity. This is how you can monitor your own practice. You know, you can check it out. You know, as we practice, you'll see sometimes you're very willing, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you have a lot of energy, sometimes you, sometimes you have a lot of trust and faith and confidence, sometimes you Sometimes you don't understand it. anything. Sometimes you can't remember what you're supposed to be doing here. You know, you know, it's like, I'm sitting here, but what am I supposed to be doing? So there's no remembering. So as we, as we begin to get familiar with uh, these factors of mind, then we can really begin to uh, understand how our practice is working <coughs> or when it's not working. What we need to do you know, is a do-it-yourself job. You know? So these uh, five, five activities of mind, or five faculties of mind, their powers, their qualities of mind that predominate in guiding the development of awakening. Trumper Rinpoche was a great Tibetan teacher back in the last century here in the West. And he said, you know, it would be better if we had never started this Dharma trail, Dharma journey of awakening. Because it's challenging, it's difficult, it's really, it can be frustrating, it can be, you know. But he said, but since you're all here, and you've all started, it'd be better if we finish. <laughs> so there's no going back, you know, like they say, it's like a snake in a bamboo tube. Once the snake goes into the bamboo tube, there's no going back. You've got to keep going. So now that we've all headed into the Dharma, or headed into this uh, journey of awakening, too late. You know, can't go back. How do you think of it this way? How do you, uh, you know, once you wake up a little bit to the way things are for you, how do you forget? Do you forget what a banana tastes like? You might not be tasting a banana right now, but you don't forget what a banana tastes like. You know what a banana tastes like. Same with wisdom. Once you really taste this life of a human, you really taste it with your mind, your heart what is going on in the body, in the mind, your heart, then you don't forget. You might want to forget. <laughs> you know, and we try that sometimes. But you, <coughs> you may forget the Dharma, but the Dharma won't forget you. You know? So, this is the journey of awakening. So, for myself, uh, after I out of the university and had the wisdom to drop out of law school, <laughs> I found myself on a commune 
back in central Maine when I was uh, 25, 26 years old. And um, I was learning how to uh, re-inhabit my life by going barefoot uh, and uh, climbing a tree to watch sunset every night and uh, living as simply as I could with a group of other people who were trying to do the same thing. And we were there because we were all fans of the Grateful Dead and Pink Floyd. Partaking of the sacrament as necessary to have a spiritual life in that way. So I didn't know anything about uh, meditation or I didn't know any Buddhist. I didn't know anything about religion. I had no interest in it. But somebody at the commune uh, saw this book called Beginning to See. And uh, it's little one-liners about mindfulness. Little little line drawings and one-liners about mindfulness. And she showed me the book and I looked at it. It's like, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. In the back was an address where you could write for more information. She wrote and uh, she got a letter back saying, oh, by the way, there's a retreat. Well... I didn't know what a retreat was. There's a retreat going on in Bucksport, Maine. We were in Central Maine. Um, and uh, the last two weeks of this three-month retreat is open to new new students. And you, if you'd like to go, you can go. So this woman on the commune said, I'm going to go. And I thought, I thought she said something like she was going to go on a holiday on the coast. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, I'd like to go too. <laughs> well, so the day after going to the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder concert, <laughs> we went to this retreat. And we walked into this old Catholic monastery, and on the left was a dining room. There was a little sign on the door that said, New Arrivals, we'll meet at 5 o'clock or something like that. And on the left was a, a door to the chapel on which they had the schedule. And the schedule is like it is here. You know, 5.30, wake up. Uh, you know, do your yoga or stretching and then you sit and then you have breakfast and then you do some chores and you sit and walk and sit and walk and sit and walk and then you have lunch you sit and walk and you sit and walk and you sit and walk and then you have some tea and then you sit and walk and then at 7.30 in the evening, talk. Ah. So we looked at each other because nobody was looking at us. <laughs> you know, walking around like zombies. And uh, we looked at the schedule and said, well, at least we get an hour a day to talk to each other. What <laughs> that really means to get an hour a day to listen to somebody else talk. And what we'd, what, what we'd done is we stumbled into the last two weeks of the first three-month retreat, taught by Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, and Jack Cornfield. And uh, we didn't know anything. I had never sat, I'd never tried to meditate for one minute before arriving there for 14 days. So you can imagine what that was like. <laughs> I sat way up back, I leaned against the piano, and I was in excruciating physical pain the whole two weeks. And that was nothing compared to the excruciating mental, emotional pain that I was going through detoxing. Nevertheless, I stayed for 14 days. And there was one thing that happened during that retreat that was really uh, kept me there. The talks in the evening about the Dharma, you know, about mindfulness, Four Noble Truths, uh, Eightfold Path, you know, uh, loving kindness, the, the ordinary Dharma talks that, that you get in any retreat. When I heard the Dharma talk, 
it was as if I was hearing for the first time what I'd always known to be true. I didn't have any doubt. It was like, that's it. It's like, where did this come from? I mean, this is what I've known my whole life. Although I'd never heard it, I'd never read it, I didn't know anybody that had anything to do with the Dharma, but I recognized it in myself. That was the, you know, kind of the flickering flame of some kind of trust or confidence or faith in the Dharma, the possibility of awakening, and this uh, this uh, journey of awakening I picked up again in this lifetime and have been carrying it on for 45 years. So, what happened, you know, we went back, we went back to the commune at the end of 14 days, and everybody's doing the same thing. You know, everybody's, you know, just doing the same thing they always done. But we were in such a different space of mind that we looked at these friends of ours and our life and our activities, and we realized this I don't know if we realized we just said wow we're in a different place mm-hmm. you know? and gradually we you know eventually moved away from the commune and got more involved in doing more retreats in, in the Dharma and for a long time I wondered what happened at that retreat and I think I, I now I understand that it was an awakening of faith there was this kind of like brightening of the mind and the heart. Even though I didn't I didn't know anything about it, I didn't have any knowledge about the Dharma, just what I heard in Dharma talk. But somehow there was this confidence, this faith, this um, brightness in the mind, this clarity of the mind that this is it. This this is it for me. This this is somehow I get it. Of course I didn't I didn't get it at all. I didn't I had no idea. But you know when you when you're making a you have a picture puzzle and you, you, you've got a 1,000-piece picture puzzle, you know, and it's all spread out. The first thing you do is you, you look for all the square edges and you make the border, you know. And as soon as you make the border, as soon as you get the last piece in, you know the size and shape, and you, you, you know, okay, now i just got to fill it in. But somehow, having the border gives you the confidence that, oh, it's not done, but you know what the, what, the, what the piece is going to be like. Well, that's what it was like hearing the Dharma and having the, this awakening of faith. It's like, I get it. This is what life's about. This is, this is I mean, because I had, you know, I had some, you know, unarticulated, even unrecognized aspiration for being kind, for being generous, for, for having a communal life, for being, uh, you know, some kind of awake and, Interested, but I, it, it, it was very incoherent. It was kind of dissipated. It was very dispersed. And as soon as I heard the Dharma, I was like, ah, the frame of the puzzle was finished. Now I just have to fill it in. So a couple couple of years later, actually a year and a half later, the um, a group of people bought the meditation center in Massachusetts. Uh, from the from the Catholic brothers, and um, they needed people to come help be on staff. So I went there, and <clears throat> again, this was this was I went to a retreat, a work retreat, 
they needed people to help uh, fix it up because it was run down. And I was a contractor, so I went there, took my tools, went, and again there was this. You know, I'm not a woo woo wow wow guy. This, this, I'm not. I don't have these kind of experiences. But I walked into the the, the, the office there, and they said, "You're here for the retreat for the work retreat." Yes, I'm here for the work retreat. I've been to work for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. And they said, "Well, here, let me take you to your room." So they took me upstairs, and you know, if you've ever been there, so it's a big, big set of buildings. Got upstairs and went into one of the dorm rooms, and there was nothing in there. Just a two-inch foam, foamy mattress on the floor. That's it. Nothing. You know, and I had my backpack or something, and walked in, and I said, "Thank you very much." Closed the door, and I walked to the the window that was in the room facing the New England forest out back. And I looked out the forest and I knew that I was going to spend a lot of time there. That this was my home. I didn't know anybody, but I just knew you know, in something in my heart just went, that's it. And that's where I lived for eight years. Just didn't leave. How did that happen? You know, when we when we when we feel this kind of trust or this kind of faith or this kind of you have this knowledge, you recognize this knowledge within yourself as like right. But I tell you, I'm, I'm you know some people have these kind of experiences and they kind of blow them off. Me, they only happen two or three times in my life, so I pay attention. You know, so what is it that? you have experienced that allows you to trust yourself to make the decisions you make even to come on retreat or to practice meditation or to even begin to aspire to awakening some to something. Yeah? So, I was reminded several years ago now. Um, my first day on staff at this meditation center, I was upstairs in the attic, insulating one of the rooms, uh, insulating the roof over the rooms. And I was having a conversation with uh, one of the other fellows on staff, Rodney Smith at the time, who's now a teacher in Seattle, in fact. And uh, remember now, I'd done one two-week retreat, and we were having a discussion about Nibbana. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, didn't know any, I didn't use a word, I didn't know anything about it. You know, but I said to Rodney, and he reminded me, he said, I said, I have no doubt that in this lifetime I will realize the Dhamma. I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> I didn't know what was involved. I didn't know anything about the Dharma, but I had no doubt. Because it was like the practice of awakening was so important or so resonant within me that there wasn't anything else to do except that you know and so I and, I, and I've never had any doubt because I you know didn't realize what was involved and you know been at it now for 45 years but I still don't have any doubt so this is this is faith this is uh, this is kind of trusting, a kind of confidence that, that we all wake up to. And there's different there's different kinds, you know, there's different uh, kinds of uh, faith. There's the bright faith where we just get wow, dazzled by 
some experience or just a sunset or uh, we read something and it goes zing right into our heart in a way that we go, right, I get it. Where we're kind of awestruck. But that kind of bright faith is, you know, it's not stable, it doesn't last long. But sometimes we get blind faith, you know, where we, you know, we hear a skillful speaker and we go, yeah, 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 we get kind of gooey-eyed and we just kind of go devotionally over the edge. You know, no discernment, no wisdom, no no common sense, you know, where we get this kind of gooey. So we want to be careful about that. But if we continue to practice, if we, you know, if we take the faith, take the trust, take the confidence that we have, make some effort, gradually grow in awareness, then our understanding will balance our faith. So this first faculty, controlling faculty of mind is confidence. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to do this work. Courage is strength of heart, you know, it takes a lot of heartening, if you will, because uh, we're going to be looking at ourselves, And, uh, you know, we have a very uh, sculpted sense of ourselves that we kind of present to others you know, like only the good parts, you know. And yet we all know that we have this secret life in here that, uh, you know, the, the skeletons in the closet, if you will, or the ghosts in the closet, in the cellar, uh, in the attics of our lives, there's, there's, there's all kinds of debris that uh, we know. We, we, we've all seen it. You know, and we've built great structures of, you know, defense against uh, acting it out or revealing it or hiding from it ourselves you know, because it's shameful, it's painful, you know, fearful, whatever. And so to even begin this journey where you might get to look at this stuff takes a lot of courage. You know, so you want to acknowledge that, that. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage and, and, and it takes, you know, you will meet a lot of fear at times. So we can't let fear undermine our trust or our willingness to take the journey. You know, but there, you know, there will be a time in practice when fear is king, queen, uh, kind of like ruling the roost. And uh, we'll get to see, we will get to see how much fear uh, manipulates our life. You know, not to be ashamed of that, not to be you know, in denial of that, but just to say, wow, you know, because of this fear, I have not done this in my life, I've not done that, I've, I've limited my own options because I'm afraid of failure, afraid of uh, social judgment, afraid of uh, you know, being different than others expect me to be. Scary, scary stuff. But this is the journey. This is this is what we need trust for, faith for. This is the the um, encouragement, really, to do the work. <clears throat> but what uh, what faith does for us 
is it gives us a um, it says that faith is like uh, spiritual compass because it uh, points to the direction of our spiritual journey uh, it's, it's what we have trust in or confidence in and we move in that direction and so in some ways it clarifies you know all uh, all the options in our life to one direction and the interesting thing about uh, understanding this journey of awakening as being a direction rather than a goal is you can always reorient yourself to the chosen direction whereas you can't always reach for or grasp or reach the goal that you think you have set for yourself. So when we, when we begin to look at this, what is what are we making a commitment to here, this week or in this life, by doing this practice? Please understand that it's not about getting something. It's not about getting some kind of experience or getting some kind of credentials or getting some kind <clears throat> of you know spiritual goodies, but rather it's uh, understanding the value of this direction that we're going. And the direction we're going is towards, towards our own heart, towards our own experience. And in every moment, whenever we find ourselves headed in, away from our experience, we can always reorient and say, wait a minute, let me come back here. Let me check in again. You know, And whatever it is, you know that is that is the direction that is the, that is the goal of that moment so it clarifies our spiritual objective and it kind of weeds out you know logic uh, beliefs uh, hopes uh, expectations others have of us uh, all that stuff gets kind of uh, seen through I won't say pushed to the side or ignored or denied, but it's just we, we just see through. That's not that's not our direction. What others expect of us, that's not our direction. What we hope for, that's not our direction. Our direction is oh, what we have trusted, what we have faith in, what we have that already recognized personal <clears throat> experience that confirms this is what feels right to me, even if nobody else feels that or understands it. Even if you can't articulate it, you know, you know something in here. And so that's when we have that kind of recognition of our own faith, then we always know the direction we're going. We can always, I should say, we can always reestablish the direction we're going. Second thing that happens with faith is that we uh, aspire to acquire what's called the good. We know that we all have goodness within us. We all have the goodness of kindness, of patience, of love, of understanding, of compassion, of sharing, of caring. We have this goodness within us. 
We all have it as a potential, we all have it manifest to some degree, and we all have room for improvement. Right? And that's what the faith aspires to. Faith seeks the goodness within ourselves. It seeks the goodness in others. It seeks the goodness in all of life's events. You know? And rather than kind of looking for things to find fault with, easy to find fault, uh, faith is what finds the good in others, in ourselves, in behaviors. And so, when we have faith and we recognize this aspiration for goodness, it's not like we've kind of, you know, strapped on a heart attack machine and now we've got to kind of become a good person. It's not that at all. It's just that we see that there's this potential within ourselves. And we're willing, we're interested we're kind of uh, trusting that it's worth seeking. Desire, on the other hand, desire, attachment, indulgence, it's seeking pleasure. And we've done plenty of that, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to have pleasant experience. We all want to have pleasant experiences. We don't want to be unpleasant. Pleasant physical, mental, emotional, financial, social, psychological. We want it. We want it all. But the good within us is different than pleasure. And it's faith that seeks the good. It's desire or attachment that seeks pleasure. So please understand that, you know, when we seek the good, when we have faith, you know, uh, and we're seeking the good, it's not to become a goody-goody. It's not that. It's because we know this is where our heart thrives. In the good. This is where we really grow. This is where we, you know, connect with ourselves, connect with others. It's not because we're commanded to or told to or have to. It's like, this is who we are. If we don't have that kind of faith, we, we, we cannot sustain the journey. Yeah, because the journey is long. It said that confidence is the road sign to the citadel of happiness. But it's not the happiness of, you know, just pleasant indulging, but it's the happiness of uh, realizing within ourselves our own goodness and uh, bringing it into the world, bringing, acknowledging it in ourselves and bringing it into the world. And then we, even when we have this direction, clarifying our spiritual goal, the direction we're going, and we have this urgency and aspiration to seek the good, then we have the confidence. Faith gives us the confidence and the trust to proceed, to be willing to make an effort. So already we've had some, some trust, some inspiration, some aspiration to be here. Now you're here. Now you have to practice with, with some confidence, make some, make some effort to... Uh, move in the direction of your spiritual compass. So this is what we'll be doing here. Acknowledging this uh, direction that we all have. We've all felt. And this uh, understanding that there's this 
this goodness within ourselves. And it takes, you know, some cultivating. Uh, it's not to say that there's no goodness in ourselves, but there's greater potential. And so what we'll be doing during this, uh, our time together is uh, capitalizing on this uh, clarity or this confidence or this trust or this willingness to just be here. Not to not to get anything, not to get rid of anything, but just a willingness to acknowledge the most delicate part of your heart. It wants to grow in goodness and aspires to that and has confidence in yourself to a degree, in the practice to a degree, maybe in the teacher, the Buddha, or as I represent it, to a degree, and there'll be doubts. We'll talk about that later. But just to acknowledge that there is some already in all of us, some uh, willingness to be here with confidence, trust in ourselves, each other, and that we can uh, make the commitment, we can we can grow. And we'll do that together for the next days. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I hope that uh, you can recognize your own direction, your own willingness, your own goodness, your own trust your own aspiration. I just put words to it because it's all in there. We all have it to some degree. And I put words to it so that you can help see it to yourself. Not to convince you of anything. Just so you can see. This is this is what happens on this journey of awakening. Wherever you are, whether, you, whether you're here for your first retreat, or whether you're here for the, you know, your 20th anniversary, or your 30th anniversary of starting Democrat. Doesn't matter. You know, we still have all of this going on. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.